Why can't Justin Bieber recognise glass doors? That's to me this, that's to me this. Isn't it sad to see S Club 3 clutching at straws? That's to me this, that's to me this. Helen and Ollie, that's to me this. Let the record show that Ollie Mann got something right. I dread to think what, because some of your ideas are so dangerous to mankind that if any of them come true, then this world is even more problematic than it, we thought it was. Someone contacted me on Twitter the other day to say that I should stand for some sort of political role. Oh, no, 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 what? no. Even I think that man's living in a crazy parallel universe. You know when everyone thought it was weird that Ronald Reagan was going to be in politics because <laughs> he was an actor and therefore not qualified? Well, this is like a million times more wrong. Well, anyway... If the record were to show this, Helen, it would show that when it comes to guessing the mechanics of theatrical special effects, oh, yeah. I am king of this podcast. I should have known that. I should have known. Uh, last week, you will remember that I said... You will remember, because it was a significant moment in your life. You must! <laughs> I said that uh, Singing in the Rain, the West End show Singing in the Rain, probably used a closed circuit system of water rather than water from the tap. And Martin, the sound man, and I said that sounds like a real health hazard because it'd be full of crap. How you laughed at me. How you doubted <laughs> my expertise. <laughs> Naive. But... Dirty water-loving fool. <laughs> but Chris from Hook has been in touch to say, I work in a theatre, here we have inside knowledge, Helen, that has done quite a few rain and flood effects recently and the water was mostly reused. Ugh. That's right environmentally. I just think it's potentially bacteria heaven. Yeah, well, actually, funny you say that. He goes on to say, it's treated with chlorine to prevent most bacteria Growth. Oh, great. That's <laughs> going to be lovely running over your face, isn't uh, it? But our last show involved a large amount of soil too. Ugh. Presumably that was the little-known musical Singing in the Soil uh, <laughs> about plantation workers in the 50s. He says there was vegetation growing underneath that stage by the end of the run and clearing it out was really quite unpleasant. But nonetheless, I was right and that's the important thing. Yes, great. I'm singing in chlorine, <laughs> bringing back memories of the war. So I hope everyone's up to date with the tetanus shots. Here's a question from Rachel in Fife, who says... Uh, uh, Helen, answer me this. Could you still, or could you ever, in fact, actually be married by a ship's captain? Not really. I don't know what she's on about. You know that thing that they have in loads of TV shows and films where they're like, oh, we want to get married, how can we do it? And the captain's like, well, I'm allowed to marry anybody because I'm the ship's captain. I've never seen that. Yeah, well, it's crap. African Queen? Never classic, seen that. Classic movie. Movie. I've just told you I've never seen it, Martin. I'm not lying. Well, the thing is, it's boring to show in a film or a sitcom the fact that you have to apply for a license beforehand. It's like going to Vegas, getting ham and waking up married. You have to get a license to get married in Vegas. You either have to apply for it online beforehand oh, really? or go to the, the license shop, which I think is in a courthouse. But I bet you could still do that in one night. Oh, you? Yeah. It's probably a 24-hour yeah. courthouse Yeah, but still, it's two journeys, so yeah. that is going to take the spontaneity out of it, particularly if you've had to <laughs> queue to get a license. The whole idea of getting married in Vegas just seems bleak to me. Oh, sordid. Yeah. I'm sorry to anyone listening who did it. Maybe they thought, well, it'd be nice and efficient. But the fact is, if you want a marriage that doesn't really take any toll on you, like if you just want to get married and it not to really be a bother, then you can do that in somewhere else a registry office but also yeah. what, you know what's special about saying yeah we commemorated our love and you know made a contract to each other for the rest of our lives round the corner from an excellent brothel <laughs> this is weird <laughs> why would you think that that's a romantic thing to do when you've got chuggers on the corners going girls in your room in 20 minutes yeah. think, oh that is beautiful that's more beautiful than confetti <laughs> there are some exceptions to the ship's captain not being able to marry people uh, Japanese ship's captains can marry people as long as both of those people have Japanese passports mm -hmm. and I think Bermudan ship captains <laughs> can also do it but generally if the ship's in international waters then it's not going to be governed by the marriage licensing laws of any country so your marriage isn't going to be legal so right, yeah. 
as long as you do the legal stuff beforehand, you can have a fake wedding on board the ship if you wanted that niceness, or you can get married when the ship is docked, but you still have to have sorted oh, you're out. You're making it sound paperwork. like an administrative nightmare. It's not fun, and the captain they can recognise the marriage, but they can't actually perform one. Right. So also, they've got the boat to steer. I mean, this is how accidents happen, isn't or, it? Or Captain's got... too busy marrying off the passengers. Yeah. Hello, 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 Stay from Smethwick. I, I didn't know you've gone away. We've been back for two months, Dave. You've missed a lot of answer me this, but it's good to hear from you. Our listeners go apeshit when Dave from Smethwick's <laughs> been in touch. That's all they want, really. They don't want this podcast. They just want one minute-long call from Dave from Smethwick every week. Uh, anyway, what does it say when they say... Ship shape and and uh, 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 Bristol fashion. Well, why what's it what's it to do with Bristol? Bristol used to be one of the foremost ports in Britain. Yeah, because it's on the River Avon estuary. But because there were extremely variable tidal flows where Bristol is, you had to tie everything down on the ship and make it very orderly because otherwise you could lose a lot of cargo or things could get totally oh, nice. broken. Um, and um, also they used to get beached twice a day in low tide. So in order to dock successfully at Bristol and unload your cargo, everything previously had to be ship shape and Bristol fashion. So now, I'm, in good order. I'm guessing, Dave from Smethwick, that you're slightly older than us. I'm not sure in my day-to-day life I hear ship shape and Bristol fashion very often. The only time I've ever come across the phrase Bristol fashion is in the 90s when I was reading a copy of Viz. And in the top tips, it says... Get your girlfriend to suck on a Sterodent tablet and then when she gives you a blowy, your bell end will come out Bristol fashion. <laughs> I wonder if Bristol fashion would be the name of that blog that Sarah Palin's daughter writes. Oh, <laughs> she work. will never have heard this expression. She probably doesn't even know that Bristol is a town in the West Country of England. Well, I don't know if she's named after it, so she probably does. Well, she's care. probably named after the American town that's Bristol, named Minnesota after it. Bristol, Minnesota or yeah. something. Yeah. Bristol, Alaska, actually has gone as far as Minnesota. <laughs> have you been to Bristol? Oh, many times. My brother used to live there. I went there for a stag do recently. There's a great zoo in Bristol. Did you go there on the stag do? It's got kangaroo rats. No, we didn't go to the zoo, Helen. It's a proper stag do. We went to the slug and lettuce and places like that. <laughs> and um, the thing about Brit, like when you get out of London, even if you're in a big city like Bristol, it, th- those kind of chain bars, mm. they all put in a lot more effort. Yeah. Like the picture and piano in Bristol is genuinely one of the most beautiful bars that I've seen in this country. It's a it's duplex and Ooh. it's got a grand piano in it. Ooh. Yeah. It's a piano bar. It's, it is literally a piano bar, it's yeah, which is a different take on the picture and piano to the one in Leicester Square. Where it just it? has pictures. Yeah, exactly. That, if you're lucky. Yeah, well, they've misspelt the word pictures. <laughs> that's the kind of place it is in London. It reminds me of, I was in Turkey recently. In Bodrum, there's a Starbucks which has its own private beach. Oh, I just think, as soon as you get out of London, you're like, car. Chains can be quite good, actually, if you're in the right place. Whereas in London, you can fold your up to go, I don't need you. I don't need you. Yeah. I'd rather go to the one that I've never heard of that's clearly a bit shitty and more expensive because I'm cool. Well, it was like when Crystal Palace, very briefly, for six months, had their own version of Nando's that was better. I think there was also a version in Croydon. But the only things it served were chicken and ribs. And on at least one occasion, we went in and they had neither chicken nor ribs. And you think, if you can't get that right, then you're pretty screwed. Sometimes there's a reason the big companies are big. But you've got your own version of Pizza Express now, haven't you? Pat. It used to be Pizza Express, and then they maintained the structure of the logo, but oh, okay. renamed it. But they've called it PATP. Well, it's Pizza at the Palace. But they've put PATP. That's quite new. Song. That's quite new. PATP. PATP. Doesn't work as an acronym. <laughs> well, it's one that is just going to get you spat at in the face if someone says it to you. You know what's missing from cool independent shops? Brand consultants. <laughs> PATP. Honestly. Uh, this is from Ben in Upper Norwood, so oh. local boy. Hello, Ben. Yeah. Uh, do you frequent PATP? <laughs> 
Uh, he says, uh, my friends and I were discussing fashion and the like, and one of them mentioned that someone they knew bought a t-shirt for £320. Was it an invisible t-shirt? And they paraded around going, look at my amazing t-shirt. And everyone's like, yeah, it's an emperor's new clothes uh, brought into the modern age. Yeah, no, thing, I see what you were yeah, doing, oh, good, good. Yeah, no, very good. you were looking at me blankly, yes, which yes. is usually when you don't see what I'm doing. I was looking at you thinking, are you really doing an emperor's new clothes joke? <laughs> hey, but- this is what all the kids are into, right? <laughs> the thing is, I- I've seen designer t-shirts before. Like, if you go into, like, Liberty or Selfridges or Harvey Nicks or something... Yeah. They go up to about, like, 150 quid, and you think, that's ridiculous. I've never seen one for three... I can't imagine what's on a £320 T-shirt. Is there, like, some emergency medical equipment strapped to it? (laughs) Or an LCD screen? No matter how much you spend on a T-shirt, it's still going to be as shit after a few washes as all T-shirts. Helen, answer me this. Uh, What's the most expensive casual item of clothing you've ever bought? (laughs) Well... Well, I've got mm. about tenner, wasn't it? <laughs> My whole wardrobe is worth a tenner. Um, I've got some dresses that I bought for about sixty quid, like vintage dresses. Yeah. Most of my clothes are £40 or less and secondhand. But the most expensive item I have in my, my whole wardrobe is the shoes that I wore at my wedding, which were £160, more than my wedding dress. And mm-hmm. they're not shoes that I would wear casually because they're heels and I never wear heels for fun because I have a fear of breaking my ankle. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure ca- that counts as casual shoes if you bought them for your wedding. Yeah, but they're casualish in style. They're not like wedding shoes where they're white satin slingbacks. Yeah, you, you could, they're like brogues. You could wear them out to a classy establishment like the Picture and Piano in Bristol... But dare to dream. <laughs> One day, someone someone might squire me there. Who knows? <laughs> um, nonetheless, you bought them for your wedding, and I think I that counts as formal attire. Therefore, yeah. so I'm discounting that. So what else have you got? Well, casual. Yeah, casual. It'd be dress- forty quid, would it? Yeah, about forty quid. Okay. That's pathetic, isn't it? Well, I've got that duffel coat that I bought. Yeah, that was what about three hundred. You were arguing with me that it didn't count as casual because it was a coat. Yeah, well it. It's but a, it has toggles on it. Yeah, it's not smart. Toggles That's are the informal. Thing. And if you're trying to work out which of your clothes are casual and which aren't, if there is a scaled down version of that garment at Builder Bear, then <laughs> <laughs> it's casual. If you've got a question, then email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. Answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. Here's a question from Rachel in Cambodia who says, Helen, answer me this. Why do so many people hate the word moist? Well, it's really down to context, isn't it? If someone says, oh, this carrot cake is really moist, no one minds, do they? I don't know. I reckon there are some people that get a bit of a shudder then. But it's because of their own latent sexual problems. Well, if you say this carrot cake is really moist. Yes. If you savour it too much. Yeah. That's gross. Not everyone hates it, Rachel. I learnt the fact that Joe Wiley, the DJ, it's her favourite word. And what, Where did you learn that? Well, I don't know. It was in a magazine interview many years ago. And what I don't know is why my brain recalls those things and nothing useful. Well, <laughs> uh, Rachel continues. I ask only because it appears in Fifty Shades of Grey three times. I have counted all the words in Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> That's not that many because Fifty Shades of Grey, from what I've read, which is only excerpts on the Daily Beast, it's not a big vocabulary being used in that book. And sexual words, there's a limited supply of them. So I'm amazed, in fact, that moist doesn't appear on every other page. We should explain to listeners who haven't been aware of this. It is a phenomenon, isn't it, Fifty Shades of Grey? But it is yeah. the kind of thing that like, a lot of men, specifically listening, won't have any idea what we're talking That's about. It's erotica for housewives, isn't it? 
mummy porn, they call it, which Ooh. I think is a bit patronising, really. Was it set in Egypt? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, God, there probably is, like, slash fic about that on the internet, isn't yeah, there? Probably, yeah, probably, yeah. But they, no, they call it that because this is sort of essentially aimed at bored housewives who maybe aren't satisfied in their relationship at home, and it's actually got elements of S&M and bondage in it. Oh, but it's also, got fisting in it, Yeah. It? But also, you know, in the context of quite a reassuring... So almost, I was going to say traditional story, but a storyline about... It's based on Twilight, isn't it? The woman who wrote it, uh, she was writing Twilight fan fiction and then thought she'd probably get into less trouble by taking the names of those characters out. Yeah. And then she kind of self-published it for Kindles and people went nuts for it because they could read it on Kindle without everyone knowing they were reading a dirty book on their commute. Yeah, exactly. It's the modern equivalent of hiding Playboy inside your copy of the FT or whatever. Mm, I haven't read it because it sounds lame. I imagine it's not really your preferred genre, is it? No, I suppose not. It BDSM sounds really, fiction for mums. <laughs> it sounds really badly written. And I did read, uh, when I was a teenager, the lengthy poem novel The White Hotel, which I think was kind of classic BDSM erotica of its time. It is horrible, though, and really, really tiresome. And it's about this woman who is on a hotel on top of a mountain, and she and this guy have loads of sex, and then it might all be in her mind, and she's explaining it to Freud, who's her psychiatrist, and then she gets killed in the Holocaust. <laughs> Bloody hell, the Holocaust. Fat, fat, that fat, turns fat me Holocaust, on. Yeah. That's sort of Wuthering Heights, but with a porny bit, isn't it? It's the same sort of thing in a way. Yeah, I suppose oh, so. This is the incredible thing about the difference between men and women. The internet comes along. For men, that means instant visual gratification through explicit pornography. Even more graphic than before. Yeah, you know, get off in minutes, any time of the day, wherever you are, do it at work, do it on your phone, do it in a toilet stall, do it anywhere, do it at a job interview. For women, it means download a novel where you have to wait for 50 pages before you get some oral sex. That is not the only thing women do course, with the internet. No, yes, I, I mean, look, look what they've done with Pinterest. Yes, I know. And I, I'm aware too that some women like watching some of the hardcore pornography I've just discussed for men. But I'm just saying, this is the thing that I'm guessing many men aren't reading because this is very much aimed at the slow build but that's, of a woman's fantasy. That's the case with erotic literature generally it tends to be pitched at mm, women mm. whereas men prefer visual the actual visual content yeah. Yeah. yeah anyway i think a lot of people might hate the word because uh, they do not like to acknowledge uh, women's personal moisture maybe right. well i've got uh, an etymological theory as to why people not, might not like the word moist <laughs> yeah uh, go on. it's because it's from the same latin root as the word mucus and show me a person who likes mucus no one likes mucus not in a sex way slugs I, like it i quite like picking bogeys out and sort of turning them into little snowballs and flicking them on the floor i don't feel well well you asked me <laughs> to show you a person here i am helen oh. call me mr mucus how many social networks are you on Friendster, part you pawn, MySpace, Ping, and Google Buzz. If you want to be our pal, go to this URL Facebook.com slash answer me this, or Twitter.com slash Helen and Dolly. But please don't follow us in real Right, oh, time to take a question off our phone line, the number for which is. 02081235877. Or you can Skype us at Answer Me This. Let's see who we've got on the phone line today. Hi, Helen Nolly. It's Samantha from London. I was wondering today, after watching Embarrassing Bodies, how come they, they say that they can't go to the doctor? But they can manage to go on embarrassing bodies and put it in front of the whole national TV. So answer me this. 
why do people not just go to the doctor instead of uh, flashing their bits and scrotums all over the TV? It's sort of an extension of the urge that makes them think, hmm, I won't sort out my embarrassing personal problems in private with dignity. I'll go on Jeremy Kyle. Yeah. Uh, also, the way these shows are... Uh, written for the voiceover because it's only the voiceover that's telling you these people are too embarrassed to go to their own doctor but they've come to us is sort of a crock isn't it mm. it's like mm. when the Mary Porter shows they say I'm on a crusade to reform Britain's high street and customer service no you're not you're trying to do a makeover on DFS yeah. that's what you're doing one charity shop in Orpington is not a movement no, sorry Mary absolutely but, and I don't think she believes it is either but that's how those shows are packaged so when a it comes producer to producer has said exactly so when it comes to embarrassing bodies the story they want to tell the audience is that this person's too embarrassed to go to the doctor because there's like public service information here because they've got a mole the shape of a swastika on their arsehole yeah and it's supposed to say you at home you shouldn't feel embarrassed to go to the doctor either there are other people who've got this yes but imagine if you've got something that's more grotesque than what is on embarrassing bodies then you would very much feel alone. Then you'd think, yeah, God, these people apparently have embarrassing bodies. My, my body is mortifying. I don't watch this programme. Why, why do people watch this programme? Why would you want to watch this programme? Why? <laughs> um, I think we are naturally fascinated by other people's bodies, aren't we? That's normal. Yeah, nice ones, sure. Yeah, but... Why don't they have nice bodies on because... Channel 4? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's kind of what they do on Channel 5, isn't uh, it? This just taps into the sort of everyone's concerns that they've basically got a small dick. That's what a lot of it is, isn't it? Have you got a small dick? Well, let's see. These are These are... 20 real men's penises and this is the size that they actually are which you can deduce by just going to a changing room by the way you don't have to see it on channel 4 did they show penises on embarrassing bodies yeah if you google embarrassing bodies the five things that come up are the vulva gallery and the penis gallery (laughs) number one and two do not want so that's (laughs) but they're fine they just they're normal people's bodies but that's what it is but Brits are very embarrassed by their bodies traditionally yeah 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 the only time I've actually turned on was over dinner and there's a woman (laughs) bad choice was a woman talking about her prolapsed anus which is really not nice not appetising I think what makes me uncomfortable about it is the scheduling, actually, partly. Not just that yeah, it's on a dinner time. It, it is dinner time. But it's, it's the fact that it's in prime time. All of this business about you at home, if you have this disfigurement, you should go and mm. see your doctor, is fine if it was distributed... 11 in the morning? Yes, or distributed on a DVD at a sexual health clinic. Or if one of the ads in between the prime time programmes was uh, for a public service going, if you have this mole, then yeah. please seek medical assistance. But it's prime time entertainment. It's being sold like that. There's ads in between for McDonald's and stuff. Uh, well, here's another question of uh, telly, I suppose. It's from Mike from Luxembourg, who says, yesterday I went to an English comedy show in Luxembourg and one of the comedians was Dave Thompson. Dave Thompson? Yeah, the, the Dave Thompson. <laughs> the Dave Thompson. Very exciting. I can't believe you got to see him in a small venue. can't believe he came to Luxembourg when he started his sell-out run at the Apollo Hammersmith. Which uh, has about the same number of people in it as Luxembourg. <laughs> <laughs> it seems, says Mike from Luxembourg, that Dave Thompson's greatest accomplishment was being tinky-winky on the Teletubbies. He's the one who got fired for saying tinky-winky was gay. Hey, hey what, what reason do you have to think that? B, why was there such an uproar about it? I'd say there's an uproar because the Teletubbies' sexuality was not really a defining part exactly. of their character. It was because a suggestion that sexuality was involved at all in something for like children. preschool children. Yeah, okay. So I think it was to do with that. And, and A, because he's the actor. If he, if he thinks to himself... My motivation is... Tinky Winky is gay, Then actually, that's fine, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure there's actors who play characters like on things like Casualty or whatever, yeah. or Coronation Street, and they know that their character's gay, but the audience doesn't, because it's not actually been scripted, but they've done, you know, extensive methodology behind the character. Why should Teletubbies actors uh, be um, exempt from 
the Stanislavskian style of acting. Well, also, you're trapped inside that big felty suit. You're going to be a bit bored. You're going to be thinking, aren't you? You might as well. Yeah. Mike's question is, Ollie, answer me this, <laughs> who were the other actors playing the Teletubbies and what are they doing now? Uh, right, OK. Uh, John Simmett played Dipsy. Which colour was Dipsy? I can't remember what colour he was in the show, but it was interesting because he was obviously the black one. What? And the producers actually said, like, Dipsy is black. Oh, it's fine for there to be a black Teletubby, but not a gay yeah. one. Well, the idea was it was, the, it was the Teletubby that black children could identify with. How on earth did they... Dipsy was green! That? And look, I'm not defending it, I'm just saying what no, happened. No, they no, said, Poe they... is Cantonese and Dipsy is black. He's now a club comedian, anyway. That's what he does. Okay. Poe yeah. uh, was played by uh, Poo Fan Lee, but that might not be how you say the name. Uh, and uh, it says here in The Sun... Poe appeared in racy Channel 4 series Metrosexuality as a sex-mad lesbian. She was seen romping naked with another girl and performing an intimate sex act. Shock! So that's, Horror! That's what she did in 2001. Uh, but since then, apparently, she's become a presenter on CBeebies, uh, and she's also been in Bridget Jones' The Edge of Reason. Oh, really? I wonder mm. who she played in that. Uh, presumably that slightly off-colour scene in the Thai jail. Nikki Smedley, who played Lala, is now a storyteller. So I suppose that means tell stories to kids in libraries and stuff. Uh, And also a dancer and lives in Shipston-on-Stour. Where's that? Fuck knows. What would be interesting is if the baby who played the son, as in literally the son, that rose... It's probably now an adult, almost. Like the baby on the Nirvana album. If she becomes an actress now... There'll be a massive gap in her IMDb CV. Oh, embarrassing. Same baby the whole way through, which surprised me because of child sort of, you know, licensing laws. Yeah, but presumably they just filmed as her doing a load of stuff one afternoon. Once, and then... yeah, yeah, and then it's always the same. That's the thing with kids shows, isn't it? They are all always the same. Because there are hundreds of episodes of Teletubbies, aren't there? But they're all the same. They're all the same. They might have well just made ten and just shown them. I suppose it's... They do. That's what they used to do with Bagpuss and stuff. I suppose it's for the parents, isn't it? So that you don't actually go completely mental watching no, the same thing would. every day. If you're a parent and having to watch the Teletubbies every day, <laughs> you would go as mental as if you were dropping acid every day. Every day. Yeah, but at least you've got the stimulus of a slightly different storyline. I mean, it was literally <laughs> the same every day. I watched Teletubbies for the plot and the <laughs> writing. <laughs> and so the Jubilee celebrations are nearly at an end, and Her Majesty has donned the Jubilee nighty and is climbing into the royal bed. Oh, the Queen is yawning. She's really ready for sleep now, and... As her royal head adorns the royal pillow, uh, our coverage continues over on the BBC News Channel. The answer me this jubilee. One hour of right royal fun available now from iTunes. Time for a question from Laura from Southampton. She says, I'm 17 and I've just joined Twitter. Jolly good. Well Um, done. Hope it works out for you. Helen, answer me this. What was the hash key used for before hashtags? Seems incredible to think of a time before hashtags, doesn't it? It it just lived in a punctuation wasteland. Like that funny squiggly key that is in the top left of my keyboard. I'm struggling to think of a use of it, actually. I think it's used in um, LaTeX typesetting language. Yeah, it's quite popular in computational languages, but that doesn't explain why it was on all the push-button phones before even mobiles were invented. Because in mobiles, you know, you use it to navigate menus in america they use it quite a lot because it means number and also it means pounds as in pounds of weight because uh, it was just like a contraction of writing the letters lb but when you write it down to mean number Mm. so you say for example we're the number three best-selling apple in the united states and then you'd put we're hashtag three or turn to him number 213 (laughs) exactly Mm. fine but when you why are they on the phones because you don't have to press that to press number do you it knows you're dialing numbers 
Was it like a command for like call center waiting things and stuff? Yeah, yeah. but it was something like that. But I've never it? heard. That. I've never heard. Press the hash key. Have you? Yeah. Every time I pay my f- mobile phone bill on Orange, please enter your long number followed by the. Oh, hash followed key. by the hash key. Yeah. I have heard that actually. But in in medicine, it's the symbol for a fracture, and in Swedish, it's the symbol for lumberyard. So you know, it gets around. One of its other names uh, is the Octothorpe. So that's cool. They that's could be called name. Octothorpe tags on Twitter, but they're not. Are there shit businesses that have the hash sign in their typography? Like, you know, cafes in the late 90s had at signs mm. in their name, like Ka'atve. Well, maybe someone's called their fried breakfast place Hash Browns. That's good. Oh, that's a good idea, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Oh, full of good ideas. <laughs> Here's a question from Bagsy from Evesham, who says, I've been playing Mario with my lad. He runs through a little green mushroom and gets an extra life. Hurrah! But then he turned round and said... Daddy, what does one-up mean? So Ollie, answer me this. What does one-up mean? Well, it, it's, I think it's pretty, pretty obvious. He said it means you get an extra life. That's what it means. It means you have one-up, one more extra life than you had before. If you get two-up, you have two extra lives. But it's odd that that is up. Why that word? Why not just plus one or something? Because, well, look, it's got to work internationally across languages, hasn't then it? it should be a little heart symbol or something. But it's it's about an extra life, which doesn't happen in real life. It only happens in video games. The whole thing's trippy. If you think about it too long, you'd have a massive existential crisis, Ellen. The point okay. is, they have I to... I symb- then, because I've had my existential phase in my teens when it is supposed to happen and to you. And was it about Super Mario Brothers? No, not really. Maybe that would have saved me. I think if you are going to analyse Super Mario Brothers for inconsistencies, I would say, why is it that just walking into a big snail kills you? Well, that is terrifying. Yeah, it, don't get me wrong. If there was a snail that size coming towards me, I would be scared too. And I don't know if I would muster up the courage just to jump on it and fire it at my opponents by jumping on it again. But no reason for that to kill you. It's only a snail. It's vegetarian for a start. Yeah, but well, it might not be. By the time they've grown that big, they might have got a, a taste for a sweeter kind of meat. Taste yeah. for small Italians. Also, a snail that big. Is it human size? Is it equal size to Mario? Well, it is human size, but I think we're supposed to infer that Mario himself is smaller than the average human. Okay, but nonetheless, the weight of the shell alone could Mm. be damaging um actually the whole one-up thing does have a precedent before super mario Uh, is it in dante's inferno um well quite possibly but uh, the one that i found Oh, new testament jesus gets a one-up uh again possibly lazarus Um, he gets two up yeah mine was from the 70s helen it's from uh, pinball games american pinball games of the 70s had one up as a sort of life you know you get an extra ball or whatever if you get the one up so i think they were taking it from that well i say say it with arcade machines from before i had a console or computer yeah yeah Yeah. exactly yeah because again that kind of makes sense because somehow one up feels right to mean that you've made more for your money do you want me to have to put another coin in so it's just building on a grand tradition that uh, went right from the bible to arcade games (laughs) uh yes that's just what i said here's a question from gary who says what is it with outlets My local Thornton's has become a Thornton's outlet. Growing up, an outlet meant one thing and one thing only, sewerage at the seaside. (laughs) Ollie, answer me this. How and why has it become a type of shop? And what the hell is the difference between a shop and an outlet anyway? Well, the term outlet, though, comes literally from being the outlet on a factory production line. Mm. So if you had, like, a warehouse where you were making, say, shoes and there was actually a production line and you'd made too many, then at the end of the line, in the outlet, you would sell off the shit you didn't need. Right. So what the, the concept is, like a shop that's part of a factory, like the one we went to in Emma Bridgewater in Stoke-on-Trent when we made yes. our Great British Questions An video. atypical factory outlet store, because usually they are filled with awful, awful garments. Yeah, and this was filled with um, plates China. with cocks on them. Yeah. yeah, well, by cocks you mean chickens. Yeah, yeah, you chickens, You left that chickens. deliberately ambiguous. I did, but that's right, you I was know doing a funny, Helen. The, the Emma Bridgewater brand would not have any obscene things on their very expensive china. That's true. Uh, 
Uh, but anyway, that, for example, was a traditional outlet centre in that it was in yeah. the factory. And it was a bit cheaper than the real stuff. Yes, but it's come to mean a shop that's owned by the company that makes the products. It's not a franchise. You're mm. not lending your name to anyone. It's not a department store. You know, if you go in the Louis Vuitton outlet, it is actually the shop is literally owned by the Louis Vuitton company. Mm-hmm. It's just that they don't have to actually be in the factory anymore because the factories are in China. So right. <laughs> they put them in Bista Village or whatever. So does outlet still confer a kind of discount status yes. to the shop yes okay yeah. it's so, just the same as if it were in the factory it's cheaper it's seconds it's surplus goods it's just that they now put them all together in sort of desirable shopping villages okay. rather than you having to traipse around factories so the thornton's outlet is probably out last of, year's chocolate it's out of and date easter eggs yeah, exactly well i think that is enough of answer me this episode 218 yes we wouldn't like you to get too excited and max out on the fun well we don't want you to max out because we want to come back next week with mm. episode 219 and for that we need your questions oh yes please which you can deliver to us via several means of communication, all of which are to be found on our website, answermethispodcast.com. And there's still time to enter Martin the Soundman's amazing science songwriting competition for 18s and unders. Yeah, you've got a few weeks. Go to sociablephysics.com. Uh, all the details are there and entries are open now. So please go and send in your science songs to me. Wow, we're at the centre of a movement. Really nerdy movement. (laughs) (laughs) For children as well. Yeah, yeah. We're we're twice as old as uh, the average entrant of this contest. No, it does sound that sounds like a cool competition. Yeah, and and they get to go to Green Man with one of their parents. What could be cooler than going to a festival with one of your parents? (laughs) If you're 18, you can go with a friend. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Um, And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye!